Amen. Well, thank you, Jason, for leading that special. Uh, I asked him to do that because it's it's one of my favorite hymns. You know, there's some good hymns out there, but that one really has stuck with me, and that kind of actually inspired uh, the series I want to start. Um, that the hymn was an old African American spiritual written in the 1800s, but uh, what really strikes me is this single cry of that song, right? You, you don't have to guess what's this song about. It's give me Jesus. That's what the, the cry of that song is. Um, you know, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And, you know, that resonates with me. Perhaps uh, at times not as fully as I would like it to. But yet that's kind of what our cry is. It's like, Lord, cause it to resonate with me. Eat more and more. I think that actually represents kind of our race, part of our race. Our goal, our striving, our struggle in the Christian life is that that would become the cry of our heart every day in each situation. That in the, you know, when we come to that crossroads, Lord, which way do I go? I don't know. Just give me Jesus. I want that way. We want that to be our default. And so, um, you know, we can see that reflected in the lives of the saints, too, in Scripture. I'm sure you can think of lots of them, but that that, that was their cry. But I, I think none more clearly in the, in the Scriptures, or you could say prominently as, as King David, right? I mean, like, he was a man who sought after God. Um, he possessed a deep desire to know God and to... He, to meet with them and uh, and so forth, and you know it says something about him. Not I don't want to look in the Old Testament. It's actually in the New Testament, and it's, this is kind of like the summary when we think, well, what did God think about David and what summarizes his life? We read about that actually in the New Testament. It's when Paul was preaching in in Asia, and you know this this is kind of like the summation of David's life or maybe heaven's perspective on David. You know, we know the Old Testament story of David. We know the the good and the not so good, right? I mean, he had his ups and downs. Um, he had the joys and the hardships, a lot of hardship because of his own sin, but yet he had that heart for God. It's like he never lost this cry. Just give me the Lord. I want the Lord. And to quote from Acts 13, the Apostle Paul, he says, and when he had removed Saul, speaking of Saul, he raised up David to be the king to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You know, David kind of became synonymous with that phrase, the man after God's own heart. And, you know, that's how God views him. Even though we know the picture of his life, God in his graciousness says, David is the man after my own heart. You know, I mean, he's saying it past tense. So he's like, you know, he did my will. That's how God viewed him. Now, we might place our emphasis on that phrase in different ways. Um, You know, maybe we can read about David's life and say David was a man after God's own heart. Right? He was after God's heart. 
Or maybe we'll read it, we can read it and say, he was a man after God's heart. He wanted what God wanted. But you know, when we're thinking about this hymn, Give Me Jesus, I, I actually think the context shifts a bit and shows us what is so vitally important from David's life. Because David, you know, kind of in, in his life, he was a man after God's heart. He was a man who was always pursuing God. His heart was always after God, seeking him. So, and I think God appreciated that, you know, from David um, to give him that title for eternity, a man after his heart. And so I think this hymn, Give, give Me Jesus, would have resonated with David because that was the cry of his heart. In fact, I, you know, we can see how in, in some of the songs he wrote for the congregation, that cry comes through. In Psalm 42, verse 1, it's thought to be a psalm of David here, but it says, To the chief musician, a song of contemplation of the sons of Korah. And then it says, As the deer pants for the water books. So my so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? All right, you kind of get the same emphasis. Give me Jesus. Lord, I need you. I want your presence. I want to know you. And I don't read too many uh, psalm titles. Usually you skip those, right? But but it says to the chief musician, it was a song of contemplation. That's to be our song as well. A song of considering how much he needed God. And it's, this is also a psalm. It's thought that when, it was written when he was fleeing uh, Jerusalem or, f- or having to flee either from his time, like a wilderness psalm, either from Saul or from Absalom. It's not totally clear. But you could tell he was like a deer thirsting for that water. He was thirsting for the presence of God more than anything else. You know, his, his one thought was, when am I going to be able to come back and be in the presence of God? That was just, that was what he was concerned about. And that's remarkable that that was his primary cry. Lord, bring me into your house. Bring me back to your house. Fortunately, we don't hear that cry a lot to this day. Bring me into the house of God. That's, that's not that prominent. I mean, sometimes even, you know, with believers, you know, and David's cry, he wasn't, it wasn't just, Lord, let me defeat my enemies. His primary cry was, Lord, bring me back. Bring me back. You know, in one sense, David could defeat all his enemies, but if he couldn't experience the presence of God, then he didn't have anything. I might defeat cities and take cities of strongholds, but if I don't have that right thing going on in my spirit, I don't have anything. And so that directed David's life. It was his desire to, for the presence of God and to follow God. And you can see that from David as a young boy, right? As a, as a shepherd boy, just taking care of the sheep. He just wanted to be faithful in doing what, God had called him to do, and, and he was faithful protecting the sheep. And he was the, you know, he, he didn't just stay on post. He sought God so that he was the anointed one to, you know, he had the anointing to, to fight the bear and the lion. He knew God. 
Then as the warrior, he didn't come to Goliath with sword and shield. He tossed him away. He came in the name of the Lord. And the weapon that God gave him was a little slingshot with some rocks. And when he was old, he wanted to build God's house. And God said, no, you're not going to do that. Your son will do that. But, you know, in one sense, that didn't put him off. He still did everything he could for the presence of God. As he, he got, instead of building it, he just got everything in place so his Solomon, his son, could build it. He got all the materials, the gold, the precious things, and got it all ready so Solomon could build it. So he was directed by desire his whole life, a desire for God. And as I mentioned, it's a wilderness psalm. You know, David has to flee into the wilderness, and he wrote this describing his experience. And and Psalm 42 and verse 3, he said, My tears have been my food day and night. They continually say, Where is your God? David's enemies were thinking, Now he's done for. God's not going to protect you now. You're going to be destroyed. All his precious victories in the past won't help him. You know, that's actually kind of like Jesus. He was on the cross and they said, why don't you save yourself and come down from the cross? The world will mock those who desire God. It's folly to them. But when your eyes have been opened to the Spirit of God and you've tasted His presence and there's nothing else you want, there's nothing else that matters Verse 5 of Psalm 42, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And David speaks to himself, and he reminds himself, Why are you overwhelmed? The Hebrew word here of, of cast down, it gives the sense of being bowed down under the weight of sorrow, the weight of his suffering. Why are you bowed down, O my soul? And then he gives us the key for how we cannot be bowed down, O my soul, as sometimes we can get. You know, when we're on our own, that weight of sorrow is more than we can bear, and sometimes it's insurmountable. But David showed us the key that when our cry is, give me Jesus, we make that choice to lift our eyes to him and praise him and magnify him, to set our heart upon him, It's then that the weight of our sorrow and sin can be rolled off onto Jesus. And how do do we know that it can be rolled off? Because Isaiah 53, he bore our sins and our sorrows on the cross. He carried it for us so that we could be free to follow him. And so that's what really what makes David so unique in Scripture. He was a man who had that cry throughout his whole life. Even though his decisions weren't always perfect, but we can emulate his desire. We can emulate that cry that he had in his heart. And it was that continual cry, give me Jesus. Now, one thing that that cry does, that when that's our continual cry, it will have an impact on us. In fact, I think that one of the things that represents it When that's truly our cry, what it represents is a life that's changed through encountering Jesus. We're changed in his presence when we experience him. 
You know, we can see that through something else the Apostle Paul said. He wrote this in, in Philippians 3 and verse 10. He wrote this six years before he died. And so here he is, just six years before he goes to be with the Lord. And this is what he's saying. And this is kind of another cry. That I may know him. That I may know him. And his power, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of suffering, being conformed to his death. And so that was Paul's cry, that I may know him, his power, his suffering, his death, and consequentially, his resurrection and life. But one of these, these things that we see is in, in Paul's desire to know Christ is we see that there was a result in knowing Christ he would be changed. Or as Paul says it here, being conformed to his death. Being conformed. You know, the ultimate outcome of having a cry of give me Jesus is we become conformed to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Now the word conformed, it means to be shaped, to be fashioned into the, the same form as something else. Like So there's something over there that has a different form as us, and then we're shaped and we're fashioned, and we now are changed to look like that. So there's that concept that to know him, to truly know him, is to be conformed, transformed. We can link that to what Paul said in, in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove, that you could be a, an example of what is good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. The good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The only way we can be examples as Christians is when we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed or conformed as well to Jesus. Just show the complete will and plan of God happens when that is our cry. Give me Jesus or may I know him. May I know him in this situation. And of course, it's going beyond the knowing, right? I mean, that's kind of implicit. Paul's desire was not just to know him in his head, but to know him with deep within his, his spirit and his heart so that he was changed by him. I heard a story of these two pastors were having a conversation. And, you know, sometimes pastors get together and they talk about other pastors and they talk about preaching, right? And so that so there's these two pastors who were talking about different pastors in their fellowship and how good one were at preaching and, and so forth. And, and one of them said, yeah, I heard so-and-so, he's a good preacher. And you can tell he meets with Jesus. And, and so this other pastor, they were having a talk and, and, and you know, he, when this guy said this, the other pastor just stopped talking. He was arrested in his heart. As soon as he heard that phrase, he's like, never thought about that before. You can tell he's met with Jesus. In all my sermon preparations and seminary and other thing, I guess, I mean, he thought about it, but it just hit him at that moment. And he was just stopped by that. And that got him thinking. He wasn't, you know, just knowledgeable. He wasn't just skilled at oratory, at giving sermons and, and so forth. 
it was evident in his life that he had met with Jesus. And that pastor started thinking, in fact, this is the guy telling the story. And he was saying, I had to ask myself the question, could people say that about my preaching? Of course, as I was reading that, I was like, oh, man. It stopped me. And I said, Lord, can people see that in my preaching? Don't answer now. Tell me, tell me another time. <laughs> and, you know, this doesn't apply to pa- just to pastors. Every believer has that opportunity to walk with Jesus. You know, not, not just in preaching or testifying, but in, in a relationship that's based on meeting with him. And when we have that relationship, we have those experiences, it allows others to see Christ in us and through us. And what a powerful testimony, right? For someone to say, well, I can tell they've met with Jesus, right? That instantly says they they got the goods. I want that. Now, there's a balance to this. I don't want to overemphasize encounters, right, over the Word. The Word of God is foundational and fundamental, and so we focus on the Word. You know, we don't just want to focus on having an emotional experience. However, we do want to focus on meeting with God. But we need the Word. Now, I was just thinking about the Word of God. I think I've mentioned this before, but, you know, that, that learning the Scriptures and, and coming to his word continually is kind of like learning a vocabulary or a grammar. I know that's everyone's favorite subject in school. It was not mine. But, you know, when we learn the vocabulary of a language, it's so that we can speak it better, so that we can communicate with other people better. Um, well, the word of God is the vocabulary of heaven. It's the vocabulary of the Holy Spirit so he can speak to us. Now, the Holy Spirit can speak English to us or whatever language, but yet when he speaks to us, he speaks to us through his word and about his word. He you know, quickens verses and quickens stories of people's lives. And, and you know, there has to be that vocabulary established in us. The more we work, learn his word and hide his word in our hearts, the greater p- potential we have to communicate with heaven. You know, some people are bilingual or multilingual. I really admire that in people that I I think, man, you speak like two or three languages? That's crazy. I'm unilingual. That means I'm still working on English. My mom really tried to get me bilingual in high school. So she tried teaching me French and it didn't really stick. I, I forgot it right away. I don't know if it ever really got, I think if some got in, because I've tried, you know, learning a few words of Spanish when I go to some of our Spanish Bible schools, affiliate schools, and I try to use Spanish words, and the only thing that pops into my, my mind are French words. So I give up. It's very confusing when I try to, I'll just stick to learning English, I guess. But, you know, that's kind of where we are as believers, is that we are part of our job, and what's important is that we are constantly coming back to the word because that is the, the language of communication between us and heaven. And we have to continually have that. You know, like a language is like if, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so you have to keep coming back 
continually every day so that Jesus can communicate with us and we with him. And he does it through his words, through the lives of the saints in his word as he quickens their lives and things about them to us. However, I want to come back to this thought on experiences. We also realize that all of scripture was written so that we would have an opportunity to have an encounter with the living God. So ultimately, it does come back to having an encounter. But it's Christ appointed, God appointed, as he meets with us, as we've been faithful to seek him and make that our cry and be in his word. And, and so that's what it's all about it, it, in coming to know and understand the way of Christ so that we can have a, an encounter with him. Now, that was a really long introduction to no, our subject on that thought of giving me Jesus. But, um, you know, we'll get more into it in some other areas in the coming weeks. So I, I just wanted to touch one other area because, you know, we can make this, you know, we can make this our cry today, but what will make the difference? How does our life transform? Right? How, does, how do we get from, you know, we have it in this moment, but then where do we go from there? Now, I was kind of quickened with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. He said, For I am determined not to know anything else among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was determined not to know anything else or to focus on anything else or to include anything else that would be extraneous or distracting except Jesus and his crucifixion, his crucified life, the way of the cross. Now, the context here in Paul's letter in, in chapter 1, the previous chapter, is that he's trying to train the Corinthians not to concern themselves with the things of the world, the, the, the world focuses and glorifies certain things. And Paul's saying, look, don't look at those things. Look at what matters to, to God and to heaven. In fact, the things, you know, the world thinks the things of God are foolishness, is what he said. So if we pay attention to what the world thinks, we're going to, oh man, what I'm doing is stupid. Well, that, and that's what they'll tell us too if we try to explain it to them. It seems like foolishness and worthless to the world. When in reality, the things of God are precious. And what the world values is worthless in the eyes of heaven compared to following Christ and focusing on what he has for us. And so God perfectly worked in an unglamorous way in the world. Christ being born in a manger was not a very glamorous picture. You know, there was there was a, a one of the grandest palaces in Israel was only a few miles from Bethlehem that Herod made. Probably everyone was like, okay, there's Bethlehem and there's a palace right next to Bethlehem. That's where the Messiah is going to be born. Instead, Jesus or the Lord, Father said, nope, right there in the manger. That's how my glory is coming to earth. So Paul's admonition was that the Corinthians would learn to glory in the things of, of heaven and what really matters. And so Paul came to the Corinthians saying, I determined 
not to know anything or to focus on anything or glorify anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, there's more that Paul brings out in this chapter, um, but there's a personal application that I want to bring out because we're asking the question, how can, I, how can we make this our cry, give me Jesus, and be changed by it? Well, it's through walking and living as, of course, of Jesus. But as the Apostle Paul is saying here, I am determined. Whenever I come to you, and you know that when he was saying that to them, he's really saying that about everyone, is that when he comes, he's, he determined in his heart, his focus is going to be upon Christ and him crucified. And really, he's talking about every decision I make, every day. I determine, I make that decision, Lord, my focus is going to be upon you today. Or well, I have this decision I have to make. I have a choice. I'm at the crossroads. And that our default that we always go back to, well, I can do the A or B. Oh, give me Jesus. Which way are you in, Lord? Which way brings me closer to you? And that keeps us. You know, so many have come to Christ and when they do, they face decisions in their family. You know, the rest of their family says, what's all this Jesus and religion? It's foolishness. But their reply is, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And that's what matters. Or maybe some, you know, you're facing a decision in life, the way of the cross, picking up our cross and following him. The way of the cross is the narrow pathway, the confining pathway. There's not a lot of restrictions or rules on the broad pathway. That's why it's easier. No one likes following lots of rules. The problem is it leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to eternal life and blessing in Christ. And, and in that situation, we must determine to make our cry, Lord, give me Jesus. I wish I could give an easier answer, <laughs> but it's every day we make the hard decision. Now, sometimes it's easier than others. It's just today, oh, Lord, give me Jesus. Speak to me. Cause me to hear you as I'm giving myself to your word and as I'm praying and seeking you. And then other times... There's a cost involved. It's expensive. But it's the continual determination in each situation that will make the difference. And so we want to be those after God's own heart. I'm not saying the other emphasis are, are wrong, right? After God's heart or after God's heart. But we are to be after God's heart. That our life would be directed by the desire to know Jesus, to encounter Him, and to be in the pathway He's called us to be in throughout our life. Not conforming to the things of this world or, you know, not even things of this world, but, you know, our desires fit into that category of the things of this world. The things we would like or the things that would we're comfortable doing or, we're, you know, we, we do things that are easy because we're human, are, are reflective, are normal things. But we're not, as Christians, we're not conforming to that way, but we're conforming to the way of Christ, the narrow way. It takes a lot of determination. Situation after situation, paying the cost of picking up our cross and follow Him. But when we make that the cry of my, our heart, 
Lord, give me Jesus. You can have all this world as long as you give me Jesus. That's when the change will take place, when we will encounter God and we'll never be the same. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity you give to us. Lord, you're giving us that opportunity to cry out to you and ask you, give me Jesus. And you're so willing and able to give yourself to us and to cause us to enter into that living relationship with you. Lord, we ask that you'd help us. Lord, show us situations where we're not conforming to you, but we're conforming to something else and that our our cry is being nullified by that. But Lord, come and work within us that that would be the cry of our heart day by day. Lord, that that would be the thing that we would always fall back to. Lord, we long to be to have a testimony at the end of our life that we were men and women who followed after the heart of God. Oh, would you do that within us, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.